Welcome back to The Siding Lap, where we give you an insight into the world of motorcycle racing. We are back for round five of the MotoGP Championship, where we were in Le Mans, one of the best racetracks on the MotoGP calendar. I know I say that about pretty much every single weekend, but if you watch the action on Sunday, you will know why I'm saying Le Mans was so good. Not only was it the highest attended MotoGP race ever, it was full of action from start to finish. What a weekend it was. So we're going to jump straight in and talk about the sprint race on Saturday. It didn't disappoint as per usual and it was good to see Jorge Martin back on the top step. He had a fantastic sprint race and it's good to see him back like I said it's been a while it obviously wasn't a main race win so it doesn't count in his grand scheme of of MotoGP race wins but it's still a podium it's still a you know standing and and winning a race and yeah interesting to see that in second place we had quite literally the king of sprint races Brad Bender who made an incredible start to the weekend, as he usually does. He made up so many places in the sprint race, and to be honest, we aren't surprised to see him on the podium. And in third place was the championship leader, Peko Bagnaia. Are we really surprised to see him up there? No, definitely not. He is really good in the sprint races. He's proven it now. We're five weeks in, and yeah, he uh, he likes to take a good points haul out of the sprint race, so... All in all, actually, I think that the sprint race was, I'm not going to say boring, but it definitely wasn't the most exciting race of the weekend. We are so used to this crazy action on Saturday where people are just giving it their all and then see a bit of a more calm and, well, not even for the main race, but there's still slightly more calm and collected compared to the sprint races because those are just going crazy so it was a bit weird to see those roles inverted but okay I'm not going well I will a bit complain about it but that's (laughs) that's for later yeah definitely other things that we need to mention about the sprint race was I think Jack Miller was a bit of a, a loser on Saturday because he looked so strong off the start he was doing very, very well and a big mistake. He crashed out. He looked really, really good. He was definitely on for the podium, if not the win of this race. And quite disappointing. He said it himself that it was a tough day and that he knows his mistake. So interesting, but yeah, slightly disappointing considering he was on the podium twice last weekend. Another point that we need to mention was Fabio Cotteraro had a shocker like if I'm saying Jack Miller had a shocker Fabio Quattararo had it even worse he didn't make it out of Q1 he started 13th on the grid and then he crashed from eighth place he made up you know five places off the start of the sprint race he was looking quite good and just as the camera panned to him me and my dad went oh, there you go Fabio Quattararo on eighth place he crashes instantly as soon as we said that so I will never be mentioning again how well Fabio Quattararo is doing in a race because clearly I put the scud on it but not good he made some big big comments this weekend about how they've tried and tested so many new parts on this bike and nothing is working 
what the hell is going on with him? This is by far his worst season to date in MotoGP. Yeah, it's a real shame to see. It seems like they gave the Yamaha more power to obviously like try and do something against the Ducatis, but the power giving it the power has brought it back on like the corner speed that they had and so many other like parts of the bike and it just they just don't seem to be able to do anything with the bike now. So hopefully they do test some new parts and get it sorted soon. Yeah, Fabio has said he's going to run his 2021 setup. Two years ago, when he won the championship, he's wanting to run that setup. That's how bad his bike is at the minute, that he doesn't feel comfortable that he's going back to sort of his race winning setup, I should say, which will be familiar for him. But, you know, we're two years on from that. Surely you think you'd be slightly more advanced. You know, I, I do see riders, and we have seen riders sort of take little bits maybe from last year's bike, but to go as far back as, as two years, there's definitely issues there and, and it's pretty clear to see and he didn't hold back in, in a lot of the interviews this weekend so that's quite concerning. Another point then is some return, some returning riders I should say. Mark Marquez was back this weekend. Um, Controversy obviously follows him wherever he goes and if you've been living under a rock you won't know that his penalty for from the Portuguese Grand Prix after he crashed with Miguel Oliveira got annulled. It went to the MotoGP courts and they basically decided that it's been so long since the incident actually happened that they thought he's been out for the last however many weeks he's missed what, four races, three races even, sorry, that that's penalty enough. And they scrapped his double long lap penalty and obviously that caused massive controversy this weekend and Mark being Mark didn't hold back and definitely made some ruffled some feathers I think is the word I want to say he qualified in second place which typical Mark Marquez fashion you know he else returns from like a seven week injury and puts it on the first row so that was good to see him back and another person that was really good to see back this weekend was Danilo Petrucci Everybody loves this man. Everybody loves this man. And he was standing in for the injured Enea Bashanini on the factory Ducati bike. Obviously, he's racing in World Superbikes at the minute. So we do still see him week in, week out. But seeing back in the MotoGP paddock just brings a smile to everyone's face. I, I, I love a bit of Danilo Petrucci, especially in red. It's been a while since we've seen him in red. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's what I have to say. Yeah. But to yeah. be honest, I think that's pretty much everything that you need to know that happened in the sprint race. It, yeah, like I said, it wasn't the most exciting race of the weekend. So we're going to jump in to the Moto3 so we can get on to the more exciting racing. So let's go. Sunday morning. The sun is shining in Le Mans for once. Um, the mixed conditions didn't come out to play that much this weekend and we had a pretty decent day on Sunday. It was pretty much perfect conditions for the riders and Moodle 3 was set to go. Danny Holgado won the race in absolute fantastic form. The second place man, Ayumi Sasaki, just couldn't get near him. 
This is interesting. Is Danny Holgado set to win the world championship? Oh, I don't know. I think he's a good contender, but at the same time, I do believe that some people might have had a bit of a slow start, but will speed it up throughout the middle or the end of the season. I do hope for him that he can keep up with the pace that he's going right now and all the great results. He's doing basically almost no to minimal mistakes, which is great to see because he is still very young. It's only his second season. It's good to see, but at the same time, I wouldn't just write him already in the books. In the stars. As, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't just like be like, okay, he's the new Moto3 champion. I think there are a lot of people that have way more potential that they've shown so far. And as last year, it is a very long season and a lot can happen. Yeah, definitely. The only reason I'm sort of throwing him out there for um, a title contender, he retains his lead at the top of the championship. He has led the championship now for five rounds. It's impressive. It's very, very impressive. He obviously made the sideboard step to the IO team this year as well, which, or to the, oh my God, to the Tech 3 team from the IO squad, I should say. And, you know, that was very interesting. And he's really come out there and put his mark on the championship. We say it all the time that consistency is key. And at the minute, he has by far been the most consistent rider. There's been riders out there, obviously, the likes of Ivan Artula and Jamie Messia, who have put in really strong performances. But I think Hogado, well, it speaks for itself, the fact that he's leading the championship. He has been the most consistent so far. And if he can you know, this is his second one of the season. And if he can keep that on and keep the consistent results when maybe he can't take the race wind, you know, take a top five finish, he like he will come out on top. And I think that's a really grown up and mature and calculated way to do it. And yeah, we're five rounds in, but I, I'm really, really impressed with Danny Holgado's start to the season. And I think just in the racing itself, compared to Ayumi Suzaki on Sunday, he looked stronger, and that's interesting to see because going into this season, I think Ayumi Suzaki was probably most people's pick to win the championship, and I do agree, Anik, that he's had a bit of a, a bit of a slow start to the season. But do you think that he's going to turn it around? I think so, yes. He said himself in the post-race interview that he was riding very, very cautiously because he still has all these DNS fresh in his mind that happened previously and he knows that he's one of the most anticipated championship contenders so it I think it kind of hurt a bit his ego and he knows he's seen how many points Holgado is getting weekend to weekend and he knows that he needs to sometimes take it back a notch and just score the points not try to go his crazy boy antics and yeah I think it was a mature ride for him and I do believe that once he gets more points finishes again he will get a bit crazier again and we will see some mad overtakes and yeah I do believe that he still is very much in the championship contention yeah Definitely. Now, third place man was Jamie Messia, and we have talked so much about Jamie Messia in the past. He is definitely a championship hopeful. 
He is sitting third in the championship. Let me just double check that now that I have said that. I'm pretty sure he... Oh, Ochtola might be. Third. Yes, it is third in the championship. So obviously the move from KTM to Honda this year back to the Leopard squad has been obviously the biggest talking point of Jami Messia and... At the start of the season, I think he had a rocky start. And now, podium. Podium, 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 podium. And we know he can score podiums. We know he can take race wins. Is this the season for Jamie Messia? I feel like we have to throw him into the championship mix after the last couple of weeks. And especially after this weekend. Yeah, 100%. I mean, some of the past seasons he's had haven't been people thought coming into the season that he's the championship favorite but for the part like for I think last season it just didn't really like come around he wasn't getting the wins he wasn't very consistent but starting off the season like this I mean third on the podium and he's had some consistent points in the last few races it's a good start from him and Ortola who finished in fourth he's had podiums and and a win and I mean, that's what you need to be doing, getting on the podium. And Ortola just missed out on it. So I definitely think Messier and Ortola at the end of the season is going to be a scrap for the title. (laughs) Definitely. Ortola was my uh, next point there. So thanks for bringing it up there, Carly. That's okay. (laughs) Fourth place finish, you'd sort of go, oh, well, you missed out on the podium. But for Ivan Ortola, and no offence to Ivan Ortola, if you had told me that this is the position that he'd be in, second in the championship after five rounds, I would not believe you. He's taken two race wins and now a fourth place in France. Where has this performance come from? And is he going to be able to continue this throughout the rest of the season? I mean, I to be completely unbiased, of course, <laughs> I think his great performance comes because he's supported by a great team. Oh, well, <laughs> we no. did say this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago um, that we uh, do thank uh, his women-run team. Um, is the no, reason why he's doing Of so course, well. he's also... See, he seems very, very comfortable on the bike, which yeah. is great to see. I mean, I do think that the Angelus bike is pretty good. Yeah. We only have, we only really have him right now for reference because Nepal, of course, he's still trying to heal. He's, of course, he's come back and tries to race. He does his best and he's doing very well. But at the same time, he's nowhere near 100% and where we can actually judge his performance based on the bike. And I think they've made a big step up and he himself as a rider also did a big step up because Moto3, even though it was a bit more of a calmer race this time, it was... It's still, you need to be comfortable with people being left, right and center next to you, in front of you, behind you. And I do think that he's adapting better to these conditions right now. Yeah, definitely. Another person I want to mention who is still definitely in the championship fight but didn't have a good weekend is Diogo Morera. He crashed out of the race and he's now fourth in the championship. He came into this weekend second in the championship and he's sort of just gone down the order a bit not good from him 
qualified well, but then an, an uncharacteristic mistake, a bit of a weird crash. It sort of happened quite late out of the corner on the straight more than anything. And that was the end of his weekend. And I think we've talked about consistency so much for these last three riders that we've mentioned at the top of the championship that mistakes like this where you're not involved with other riders and it was your fault that you crashed are really really crucial and I hope that Marrera doesn't make many more mistakes like this because this could be crucial and consistency is key this is uh, an interesting weekend for him and it'll be interesting to see how he bounces back from that obviously with a little bit of a break to Mugello in a couple weeks time you know he has time to reset train and and get back on track so he is still someone to keep your eye on in this championship fight but a bit of a loss this weekend definitely yeah I think in Moto3 you're getting easier away with one DNF rather than in the other classes so it should still be fine for him it just depends on how the other riders are doing but at the same time I don't expect any Moto3 rider finishing a season with only two DNFs in in races so yeah he's 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 fine he's okay he's got time (laughs) I know I feel so dramatic when I say it we've literally had five races out of you know a possible 20 this season so it's a bit crazy that we're already like, oh, has he lost out? But yeah, it's a it's a crazy place to be. And if it does come down to, you know, the minor points later on in the season, you are going to be looking at performances like this, which is scary to think of that, you know, we've got so long left, but it could come down to something like this. I think especially in Moto3 and probably also maybe in mode two yeah. that this season will get crazy towards the end because yeah. last year we had some of the flyaway races at the beginning and some at the end so they were a bit more scattered around throughout the calendar and those are usually the ones where the riders where madness happens where crazy things happens where and yeah you don't know there are a lot of questions the weather there's often rain or it's so hot or the track conditions aren't nowhere near the same as in the at the european tracks and now having all of them at the end of the calendar i think the last five races could really spice up the championship again yeah definitely other than that i hate to say it Moodle 3 was actually the most boring race of the weekend i can't believe i'm saying that still my favorite though i have it to wasn't say. boring it was no. the least chaotic least the least chaotic for once yeah, yeah. I which mean, we love normally to see mo- moto 3 is normally the like you watch it behind the sofa sort of race yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a bit crazy but yeah not that exciting but i will mention the crashers though um so obviously diogo morera um first sato had a crash scott ogden had a crash andrea Mino had a crash and asman also crashed out of the race and otherwise, we're going to jump on to our riders of the day. So, Alec, go ahead and start us off. Who was your rider of the day in Moodle 3? Well, I did mention him already. And it's not like a result where you're going, 
wow, what a ride. <laughs> but I think for him it was. And it's Stefano Nepa. He started 12th, which was great for him to actually get into Q2 and finish 10th. And it really doesn't sound that great if your teammate finishes fourth. But we have to remind ourselves he set out a lot of races last season because of his broken leg. Then he had another really bad crash in a previous race, which I can't remember which one it was, but he did have another... Yeah, he did have a big crash earlier yeah. this season. Um, And we've actually seen him between the first and second run in Q2, where he got off the bike and he was working around on crutches, then made his way back to the bike on crutches and got back up. So he's not even able to walk normally, yet he still manages to finish inside the top 10, which I think is an incredible achievement. Yeah, definitely. Carly, who is your Moto3 rider of the day? Mine is Yamanaka. Ooh. I know we didn't mention him, but obviously he came fifth, which is a really good result. I think last race he was like um, up there, but just he was didn't... fighting for the podium and then had a, a back issue. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that was really sad. That was, that was that just like when it's you can't even do anything about it. It's not like you've crashed or anything. Yeah, like. The bikes just stopped working and oh he looks so like frustrated with himself but fifth this time around i think next uh round we could definitely see him up on the podium maybe i'm surprised you, uh, i'm surprised you didn't pick his teammate david alonso because alonso started... had a better weekend last week oh but he started 25th and ended up in eighth which well, I think is yeah. We have two. There are too many good riders. Exactly. <laughs> I can only pick one. <laughs> and we haven't spoken about you know ninety five percent of them yeah. this week in Moto three. So they need to start being chaotic again, and then we'll spend longer talking about them. <laughs> my rider of the day in Moto three, to no one's surprise, is Danny Holgado. I had to go with the race winner. I think his race win in Portimao compared to this race win in Le Mans are very similar and they both show amazing dominance and that is very very exciting in terms of the championship battle I think he is one to watch and I'm glad to see him this year bringing that consistency that we talked about last year and obviously he was a rookie last year so we couldn't put that pressure on him to be consistent you know you have to give them the time to grow and learn these circuits and, and grow into being a Moto3 rider. And I think Holgado so far has done that perfectly. So consistency is key. His race wins have been fantastic. And yeah, really glad to see him standing on the top spot again. But that is it for Moto3. Let's move on to Moto2. Now it has to be mentioned that Sam Lowe's got back-to-back poles. He took it again in Le Mans, but that was because there was a red flag in the last couple of minutes of the qualifying session. I do still think he would have been up there in the top couple of spots, but a lot of big names didn't get a chance to set a final fast lap. So the grid could have been a lot different, but that does not take anything away from Sam Lowe's getting that back-to-back pole. He was absolutely fantastic in second place we had 
Alonso Lopez and then in third place was Tony Arbelino and I think we need to mention this qualifying too because all season Tony Arbelino has qualified 8th, 10th, I think he had another 8th place. He's been shocking in qualifying and I think actually this red flag really really helped him because those big names didn't get to set a final fast lap. Tony Arbelino for the first time this season was able to sit on the front row. Pretty, pretty good. So we get to the race on Sunday. Things are exciting. I said at the start of the race that I thought things were going to get spicy, but I did not expect them to get so crazy. So within the first couple of laps, we had a red flag because of a massive crash involving Aaron Cannett, Manuel Gonzalez and Albert Arenas. Thankfully, all riders are okay. Bikes went flying everywhere. Manuel Gonzalez actually like jumped up over Albert Arenas's bike. Aaron Cannett went flying off his bike, actually hit him at one point. So the fact that we were able to see all riders up and walking away from that crash within a matter of minutes is amazing. I am so thankful that absolutely everyone is okay from that. And hopefully, as far as I'm aware, there isn't any injuries from it. So that is a positive as well. But it did mean that the race was red flagged. It was a very, very scary one. I do have to mention, though, that the race wasn't red flagged until the riders nearly got the whole way back around the circuit. Thoughts and opinions on on that red flag? It did take a long time to come out. Yeah, I definitely think it could have been quicker. I mean, we've seen it in, like, BSB. The red flag comes out instantly, nearly most of the time, like... They never make it back around and the BSB circuits are a lot smaller than MotoGP circuits so I definitely think that as soon as they had seen that people getting medical um, attention seemed to they should have red flagged it but I'm still glad that they did do it when they did like they could have carried on going yellow flagging it but it, they literally red flagged it when they got there so some people might not have seen the red flags yet if they got into the zone but yeah just thankful that everyone's okay just i just don't understand why they are doing a lot of oh let's just wait and see until the last moment because we've had not a similar situation but also a situation where the red flags were shown way too late last year in the moto three race where nine riders crashed out on the first lap because it started raining everyone was on slicks it was clear that it wouldn't work out yet they waited for one and a half lap to show a red flag even though no one well a third of the grid wasn't able to even make it and i just like i i don't i don't know if you see that it's really not working why not earlier this was a big crash it could have we at that time, we didn't know what the repercussions would be about it. And especially if you're having a three-rider crash opposed to as just one rider crashing, I think the red flag should be shown earlier. Yeah, definitely. Thankfully, though, I mean, it was shown before the rest of the grid went back through again. So obviously, they would have completely rolled off on their speed, etc. by the time they actually hit that exact corner. But it did take pretty much a full lap for them to show the red flag. And we said it so many times on this podcast with other situations that should have been red flagged, the situation that you've just mentioned, Anik, as well, that the red flag and 
the yellow flag for that matter. It's a very hit and miss in MotoGP and I think this moment was a complete and utter miss. Like obviously it's it's good that they eventually brought out the red flag but it was clear to see that that should have been brought out a lot sooner than what it was. But again, like Carly said, it's good to know that all riders are completely okay afterwards. But in the chaos of the red flag, Poleman Samlos actually crashed just slightly before this incident happened. He completely just slid off on his own. He lost the front of the bike. He was circulating in third place. And he, yeah, I don't know how he made the mistake. He just was pushing a bit too hard, maybe cold tires, not too sure. But when the race got red flagged, it was then announced that all riders were eligible for the race restart and therefore the race was on for the Mark VDS boys to fix Sam Lowe's bike they had about five minutes to do it because they were doing the quick um race race restart for Moto2 which means you have one minute to exit pit lane and yeah five minutes to fix the bike now there was one minute to go before the pit lane opened and Sam Lowe's was still nowhere to be seen he must have been changing his leathers or something but a minute to go he runs into the garage the cameras catch him I don't know if you guys seen this too but he <laughs> runs into the garage he sits down beside his crew chief he's sitting chatting they're fixing up the bike Tony Arbelino's mechanics are there too helping them fix the bike as well which is just incredible teamwork it was so heartwarming to see the crowd were cheering them on they were so loud they get the bike fixed about 20 seconds to go they get sam on the bike and he misses the pit lane exit by three seconds which means he wasn't allowed to restart the race from pole because it was meant to be original grid positions because he missed the pit lane exit obviously like i said it was a quick race restart you have one minute to exit pit lane that meant that he had to start from the back of the grid. Really disappointing for Sam Lowe's. In saying that, though, he did manage to finish in 15th, but not the weekend that he was expecting. But I really do hope that he bought his mechanics a big extra cold, extra unreal pint last night because they deserve it. They really, really deserve it. And so does Tony Arbelino's mechanics for jumping in and helping too. What incredible teamwork. And I, those are the sorts of things that we love to see in MotoGP. But a bit sad for Sam. Yeah, I think the real heroes here are, of course, the mechanics because yeah. they've done an unreal job. I don't know how they managed to fix that bike this fast. But at the same time, I still think it's a very good result for him because ending it in the points on the bike that you've crashed on and the mechanics only had a very, very short amount of time to fix, it's not going to be the bike that you started with. It's yeah. not going to turn and go the way you, like, exactly as you used to or as you want to. So I think he's still done a great job. And it also, I imagine it wasn't easy for him to get into the right mindset again. So I think it's definitely something that he can build on and continue to work well with. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't the result that he wanted, but that is two weeks in a row where Sam Lewis has had an incredible performance. Obviously, the win in Jerez and now a comeback like that. Like, he will go from strength to strength after this, and it's really, really good to see. Someone who also went from strength to strength, of course, 
a race winner. Tony Arbolino. I got asked this before the, the weekend started who I thought was going to come out on more points because him and Pedro Acosta were sitting on even points at the top of the championship. And I said Pedro Acosta was going to come out on top. I did not expect Tony Arbolino to come out with such a dominating performance. Is this going to be the fight for the championship this year? I think we've talked about it enough, but Tony Arbolino and Pedro Acosta, are these the two that we should watch? Is this going to be a championship fight like Remy Gardner and Raul Fernandez? Mm, I'm not sure. I really think that Alonso Lopez also has a shot because, Ooh. I mean, at last season he didn't start the first however many races, did he? Because the obviously Fernandez. He started in Le Mans yeah. last year. So we did. So if we add his points now, like. I think the Boscosco chassis might be better in the like from now on. Yeah. Because he I think he has struggled like at the start. I think we really expected like him and Aldeguer to just be straight out the like blocks. But it didn't really seem to happen, but it does seem to be getting slightly better. So unless Tony runs away with the championship <laughs> or Pedro, but yeah, I definitely think Moto 3, Moto 2 and GP are all going to be a bit spicy this year when it gets to Valencia. They are heating up for sure. Second place man, though, I want to mention, you've just skipped on to the third place man, but I think that the second place man needs a really honourable mention. Philip Salac has had a great start to the season and if his consistency can get just a little bit better, I think his name could also be thrown in for the championship mix. Moto 2 is one where you don't really know who's going to win it. There are so many names. Like, the grid is so stacked. And obviously, Pedro and Tony have been the names that have got a good start to the season. They've been the best so far. But if Philip Salat keeps putting in performances like he just did at the weekend, he has to be up there. He looked so strong on that bike. He made up a good amount of positions. At the end, I think if there was a, a lap or maybe two laps more, I think he would have got Tony Arbolino for the race win. This is really, really promising. And, you know, in a year or two, there could be MotoGP seats up for grabs for Philip Salach. And I think with performances like that, your name has to be thrown in the hat as well for moving up. I think he's doing very, very well, considering that he is very tall and he was struggling based on that in Moto3 in his first season in Moto 2, of course. And I, if you heard his post-race interview, it was just so nice to hear him say, I want to thank the team that believed in me even when the results weren't there. And I just basically want to pay you back with good results yeah. uh, for all the trust that you've given me. And it's just so nice to see. I think we've seen it a lot from Guzzini where it's just such a nice family-like environment for the riders. Yeah. And it's just really so heartwarming to see how they grow and just get better. Yeah, definitely. I'm pretty sure it was actually his first podium on slick tyres, like his other podiums. Have all been in the work. Yeah, could be right. Was he on the podium at the start of the year? No. Um. Oh no, he was almost at the podium at Coda, but then there was this weird thing going on with the 
all of the guys that were fighting for P3. Oh, he was P5 in America. He was... Let me see. P7 in Argentina. And... Oh, yeah. Fourth place at the start of the season. So, yeah, this is his first podium of the season. Obviously, he had that one in Thailand last year, which is what I'm thinking of now. But that was a... Yeah, that was a complete downpour. Wasn't yeah. It? yeah. So, there you go. That's... Yeah, he could definitely be up there. Now, you're probably wondering where Pedro Costa fits in in all of this. And, oh, my goodness. Pedro Costa threw away 25 points this weekend. He now trails in second place behind Tony Arbolino by 25 points in this championship. Not a good weekend for Pedro Costa. Now, obviously, we're early in the season, but 25 points is a big ask. And if Tony Arbolino continues to be so on point, that's going to be a tough 25 points to claw back for Pedro Costa. I don't know what went wrong this weekend for him. I don't think if it's... Like, really, something going extremely wrong. I think it was just, like, this that one second where yeah. you lose your cool and you throw away the entire weekend, everything that you and the team worked so hard for. And it's always so disappointing to see. And I imagine that it must be incredibly frustrating for him because he knows who's... Like, there's no one else to blame but himself and I think he will be very hard on himself because of this um do uh, I think with Pedro it's difficult because he even though he is so incredibly talented you still always have to take into consideration that he has this very limited experience and I don't I don't know I think it was a good sign for him to see that he also has the pace to go he just needs to I don't know (laughs) I don't know how to fix a situation like that if it's just like one second where your mind might well he crashed from the lead last year in Le Mans so it's not his best track yeah it's not his best race track and he hasn't had a good history there in Moto2 so far so when you put it that way yeah, I wouldn't read too much into it, but yeah, he's got some points to claw back now on Tony Orbelino. Some other people, though, that we need to mention, I think Celestino Vieri deserves a special mention this weekend because he finished fourth. He was good. He had by far, maybe I'd put it up there, the greatest save ever this weekend. Like Mark Marquez-esque. Like Mark Marquez would look at that and go, oh my God, how'd he save that? Like, elbow fully down on the ground incredible save on Saturday and then to finish P4 I mean that's a, a good weekend for Vietti and he hasn't had that in a long time so I can't believe I'm saying it but yeah that's good another week or another weekend another person who had a good weekend was Jake Dixon now he didn't sign chuffed with finishing fifth but I mean he started eighth and finished fifth He's had it tough. We know he's had it tough. Things aren't clicking just right for him at the minute. And he's being consistent top 10. And for him, I think at the minute, that's what he needs. He 
hasn't made really any stupid mistakes. He had disappointment a couple of weeks ago, obviously, where he crashed in the warm-up lap. But other than that, Jake has been good. So I think a fifth-place finish is good. And someone else that I want to mention really, really quickly before I get on to the crashers, though, because I sort of realised that we haven't really seen much of him, is Izan Guevara, the 2022 Moto3 World Champion, was way back in the order. Now, obviously, he didn't start the season because he had arm pump issues and he missed the first couple of rounds, but he's been back for a few rounds now and we aren't seeing any results from him. Sergio Garcia and Dennis Foggia, who are both also rookies, are performing much, much better. And by far, Sergio Garcia is the best rookie so far of the season. But where is Izan Guevara going wrong? Yeah, I think the not being at the start of the season might have really affected him. Obviously, it was the arm pump. He didn't really get the time to settle into the bike. He was kind of just chucked in the deep end. And yeah, I really hope we can like something improves because we know how how much of a talented rider he is and yeah just doesn't seem to have clicked yeah yeah definitely i don't know if i come if i remember this completely correctly but i think it was Jorge martinez that said about isa that he didn't have like a normal arm pop surgery, but that he had nine different that they had to cut nine different parts of three muscles or whatever to make it to well, heal it, which would be an indicator why it took him longer to heal and why he's struggling more with it. But I think his test was more promising so hopefully we will see better results from him soon yeah and we're going into some more european rounds so tracks that he's familiar with and yeah we'll see but that is it for moto 2 let me get on to the crashers then so s creek rory skinner Pedro Costa, Albert Arenas, Aaron Callant, and obviously Manuel Gonzalez did not finish the race this weekend. And moving on to the rider of the day, I'm going to jump in first. And my rider of the day in Moto2 was Sam Lowe's. I've said it so much in this podcast about how great the last couple of weeks have been for him. He is going from strength to strength. And you may go 15th is rubbish, but considering he started from the back of the grid when he should have started on pole, tells you everything that you need to know. That one point will be very, very sweet for the team. And honestly, I'd give it to the team if it wasn't rider of the day. The Mark VDS boys had an incredible weekend, how they were able to put that back together and how Sam was able to just switch his mindset after crashing get straight back on the gas like that is incredible and yeah I take my hat off to him he had a really really strong weekend and he will take positives out of it even though it didn't end the way that he wanted it to. Anik, rider of the day? Um, I did pick Alonso Lopez I mean he did have a great performance and especially I feel like it's a very full circle moment he started his career last year in Le Mans, where he was in the podium fight, but unfortunately crashed out. Now a year later, he's doing so well in his career. He's on the podium now. I just like the story. Full circle moment. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Carly, who was your rider of the day in Moodle 2? I picked man of the moment, Tony Avellino. Of course. 
Anything else to say? Just no. <laughs> <laughs> Everything has already been said. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, let's move on to the MotoGP main race on Sunday. Now we have a lot to digest here, but yeah, uh, carnage would be the best way to put it. Um, but yeah, I I don't know where to start, so I'm just going to start at the beginning. Um. Alex Marquez and Maverick Vinales had very, very aggressive starts to to their race. Maverick Vinales actually had a good start to his race this weekend, but that sort of went hand in hand with his aggressiveness. Alex Marquez was also very, very aggressive and actually made contact with Brad Bender and Johan Zarco. And I think possibly Alicia Spargo was in the mix of that as well. He ran into Zarko, so Zarko went wide and Alex, and then yeah. they went wider, and then they one of them hit Brad and the other one hit Alesh, so they had to go almost through the long lap penalty. Yeah, it Oof. was crazy at the start of the race, and yeah, I don't know about this, but Alex Marquez actually received a penalty or the next Grand Prix that he competes in, the FIM shirts have learned from their mistake, but he has got a three-place grid drop in the next Grand Prix race for aggressive overtaking on contact with another rider that doesn't result in a crash but causes adverse effect for other riders. So basically just being too aggressive, ruining or almost ruining other riders races and yeah just being overly aggressive which is something that we know that the Moto GP stewards have been picking up on this season oh, I do think a penalty. penalty I do think the penalty was fair but a three place grid penalty I mean we haven't seen that yet yeah it's not very consistent yeah yeah no. like we've had long laps but it would make sense place, yeah. yeah, I think that they just want to me. Start the fall. Think, yeah, they just want to mix it up. They think like I think oh, they put their hand so in a hat yeah. and went, "Oh, lucky dip," uh, and pulled the three place grid penalty out. To be honest, that's color wheel picker. Yeah, <laughs> that we all love so much. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I don't know if I really agree with the penalty in the sense that I think. The grid drop makes sense as it's not as harsh of a penalty as the long lap. And it happened on the first lap where things might get a bit crazy. So I, yeah, I think it makes more sense than other decisions that they've taken before. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like it is somewhat consistent in that last week there in Jerez, there was first lap incidents that got penalized um so in that sense it does sort of almost make sense and you know he was being a bit aggressive and honestly i think they would have given him a long lap penalty if he would have would have stayed longer on the bike yeah. because they would have just started to look into it then through towards like the last 10 laps, they would have just given him a long lap penalty. But because other things happened, they had to come yeah, up with a different decision. Yeah, and other teams obviously would have been appealing 
that sort of decision. And um, he did appeal the penalty, obviously, but it was denied. So he will be serving that penalty. Um, we assume it will be in Mugello, all being well. Um, like I said, they have worded the penalty very well now that it is the next Grand Prix that he competes in. So yeah. Moving on though, the first few laps were chaos. We got a couple of laps in, and I really do mean a couple of laps in before all hell broke loose. And I think that is the best way to describe it. So like I mentioned, Maverick Vinales started well, but was also very aggressive on the start. He actually lost his front wing after a collision with Luca Marini, where a bit of a rubbing while racing, I should say. And then he hit Peko Bangaya. Peko Bangaya hit him. I don't really know if it's a fault. Coming together at the same point. <laughs> yeah, and both riders ended up in the gravel trap and scored no points this weekend. Not a good look for either rider as Mavic Vinales went over to Peko Banyaya in the gravel trap. Looked like they were about to hug and then Maverick tapped his helmet. Then Peko pushed him. Then the stewards had to get involved and everything got a little bit heated. Where did the energy come from Peko Banya? I have never seen him get on like that before. I was very, very surprised. Also, when Marek went up to Peko, I thought he went up to check up on him to see if he's fine. No. But then he came in so aggressive and honestly, I'm smiling, but it's not funny. <laughs> well, it is funny a bit now, funny. That we know yeah, that they're both okay I'm with thinking... it and they are both okay as well, but... It's... Also, Maverick is known to be a bit more emotional. Yeah. And I don't want to say heated because he doesn't seem as heated he just wears anymore. his heart on his sleeve yeah. more than Peck like Bang Yeah, they're very similar. Um, I think I'm really happy to see Dave been publicly commenting and posting, saying that they apologize for the incident, for this display of anger. And I think it's good that they take responsibility for their actions. I do think it's a bit funny that after this little punch up, they decided to send both of them back into the pit lane on the same scooter. So I just see both of them. I can't imagine them, both of them brooding next to each other, sitting on the scooter. I think they must have realized that they were sort of okay about the situation because they did ride back on the scooter together (laughs) and then they did apologize to each other and then they both went to the stewards together um, and and spoke about the actions etc and no one was penalized in this incident it was deemed a racing incident and I think because there wasn't actually any proper fighting in the gravel trap there was no penalties for the the slight pushing and shoving that went on in the gravel trap i mean if you watched bsb a couple weeks ago that was a proper gravel trap (laughs) fight so you'll know what i'm talking about if you've seen that so what happened on sunday wasn't really a fight at all um i think it was a disagreement yeah there was definitely opportunity to be penalized though i'm surprised that nothing came out of it the way that the MotoGP gp stewards have been handing out penalties recently but it was deemed a racing incident which i think is very interesting and moving forward i think it will be interesting to see what happens because this weekend we went in and obviously hereth was still such a big talking point but the motor gp stewards sort of tried to lay out exactly what it was that they were looking for and Luca marini was 
very big in mentioning it in some of his interviews that he he joked well he wasn't joking he was quite serious about it actually on the Saturday but you could tell that he was poking at the FIM stewards by saying that Brad Bender should have got a penalty in the sprint race because of contact with Luca Marini and according to the stewards contact between riders would mean that you would have to drop a place so it's interesting to see that not everything that they have said has actually been put into place and that yeah that this incident was deemed a racing incident but I want to mention the other incident that happened during this lap to sort of give you guys an idea of the other chaos that happened before we sort of make our minds up on racing incidents. Um, so I'm going to mention the next crash that involved Alex Marquez and Luca Marini. Luca Marini was in contention of the save of the weekend. I did mention that Celestino Vietti had a pretty, pretty impressive save, but Luca Marini was in the process of an incredible save. He was about to high side off that bike now, obviously, we don't know if he was going to save it or not because Alex Marquez just collected him, basically. They were sort of side by side. Marini had lost a lot of speed because he was in the process of, we assume, crashing. And, yeah, Alex Marquez hit the side of him. They both came off their bikes. They both were in the middle of the track at one point. Well done to all the other riders who managed to miss all of this chaos. But this incident was also seen as a racing incident and looking back at it completely there was nowhere that Alex Marquez could have gone he didn't know that Luca Marini was in the process of crashing I actually did think that it saved Marini from high siding the way that it looked like it was going so in that sense I think it actually I know both riders did crash but I think it did save Luca Marini from having a, a massive massive crash just my opinion on it but yeah like I mentioned no penalties for either big crash this weekend and I just want to know what is deemed a racing incident and what is deemed being irresponsible I can see Luca and Alex's crash more of a racing incident yeah. than Paco and Maverick but yeah. at the same time I think Paco and Maverick are have like the same amount of fault in the situation yeah. so basically in my opinion if you had to penalize one racing incident out of the two, I would say you would have to penalize both Paco and Maverick, which would be a very odd decision. Yeah. But like it wouldn't make any difference between both of them, but it would make a difference for the rest of the grid. Yeah, definitely. Because Maverick, I am, I, I have to admit it, I'm really bad at guessing uh, speeds and distances so i don't i don't want to come off as saying oh i could have done this better but maverick <laughs> ran quite wide i feel like into that corner and i don't know why peko just turned in but also peko was the bike ever so slightly behind so yeah, peko so... knew that he was there so that's why it's sort of being deemed as a racing incident because Maverick was definitely the more aggressive of the two. If you watch it back, you can fully see Maverick being so aggressive. But then Pecco's the one that knew he was there and still decided to take that line, even though he could have went wider. So I do genuinely think that's why they did decide it was a racing incident, because both riders were at fault. And both riders obviously crashed out and lost out in that sense. Like The initial touch wasn't that harsh. 
I think they, they touched first and Maverick I think lost control because at that yeah point yeah and I think if he would have just been set up things would have been fine everyone would have waved their hand and be like oh he deserves a penalty yeah. no he deserves a penalty as we've seen Paco do on Saturday with Brad Binder but um yeah I I just give both of them a penalty to make it fun and spicy. <laughs> I think that's of my not very educational opinion, uh, just my personal opinion. I do think that it's because both riders fell off and ruined both of their own races is why they didn't get a penalty. I think similar to the Alex Marquez and, yeah. and Luca Marini crash that everyone lost out in these situations and that's possibly why and also taken into consideration but interesting when we said that we wanted MotoGP to be a bit more like the old days this isn't what I meant I liked the quick hard fast overtakes and racing but when you get scary crashes like that involved thankfully like I said everyone's okay but crashes are are mad I just want the the exciting overtakes minus the crashes but this uh yeah yeah, interesting to all happen within a lap of each other so uh my heart race heart rate was through the roof but yeah. i couldn't believe it i yeah. was just sitting there and honestly i thought they might show a red flag because there was craziness every on every Everywhere. part of the circuit going on so i thought hmm, maybe they hmm, but at the end yeah. it still kind of worked out for them so it's fine yeah definitely Moving on, I'm going to talk about the winner of the race, Marco Bezzecchi, who is now one point behind Peko Bagnaia in the championship fight. He was 22 points down coming into this race weekend, and he is right back in it again. What a dominating performance. Now, he did get his elbows out and got really involved in the racing, Um earlier on in the race he actually had to drop a position at one point after a very uh, controversial move on Marc Marquez uh, he did run Marc Marquez very wide on the track and I know some people have differing opinions on this but after the contact obviously that Peko Bangaya made on Jack Miller last week we know what the stewards are looking out for and they were consistent in the fact that he made an aggressive move on Marquez and he was asked to demote back one place but that didn't stop him in the grand scheme of things he is right back in title contention and what a bloody weekend for him second place man Jorge Martin mentioned it earlier in the sprint race great weekend really really good weekend he really capitalized on everything that he could he played it safe but also put himself out there Um, he took a good points haul and this is exactly the type of racing that we want to see from him. And third place man, Johan Zarco, home GP podium, capitalised on other people's mistakes, knew he had the pace, late race. I really wish that they'd let him win and he could do a backflip, but you can't always get what you want. A home podium will have to suffice, but a really, really good, strong podium and I'm going to talk through it really quickly. I'm sorry, Anik. I can see you have something to say. But I want to talk about fourth place, man, if you don't mind. No, I'm going to talk about him now. <laughs> Later. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> I just know that I'm conscious that this podcast has probably been quite long at this point. Yeah. But... 
You can talk about Jorge Martin. Go on. No, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I'm just going to to save it for about. next week. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to do it in the post tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you... for a second. <laughs> I thought you were going to write a letter and post it. <laughs> oh, <Neil. laughs> um. Yeah, I'm going to talk about fourth place man though. Acusto Bloody Fernandez. Oh my goodness. This guy's in for rookie of the year. What do you think? I made this joke on Twitter too. <laughs> nah, Lord, you're, you're the funniest. <laughs> that jokes. <laughs> no, I think it is a fantastic performance, especially since we know, even though KTM makes has made a big, big step forward, it's still probably the worst bike on the grid and one of them anyway yeah, yeah. although KTM uh, have made a massive step yeah but I don't know how... yeah I it's also difficult. don't think it's the worst bike mm. on the grid anymore it's honestly it's honestly difficult to uh, judge even because you have one rookie and then you have one test rider yeah basic so yeah. you can't really judge how good the bike is uh, Augusto has been he's doing really really well yeah. considering being the only rookie and how high the competition is and especially in races like these where you have to capitalize on the chaos going on in front yeah. of you he's done it and I think oh yeah okay if you're saying there were a lot of people in front of him crashing out but at the same time he managed to keep Alish as park rule behind him and that's not an easy task. Well Alish was ahead of him at one point as well, yeah. so he's made the overtakes. He started twelfth and finished fourth. Oh now, yeah, also yes, his first Q two appearance. Yeah, there was there were crashes ahead of him. Of course you can say that, but he still made a lot of those positions up I himself. Mean, yeah, he still stayed on the bike as well. Yeah. Massive. <laughs> yes. I think another thing that needs to be mentioned, Jorge Poncherol actually said it in an after-race interview with BT Sport that Paul Espargaro was FaceTiming him during the race saying oh. how much he can't wait to get back. And oh. he's so excited to get back racing and that's he's so trying cute. his best to be back as soon as he can. And I think that's really promising. And someone pointed out that this weekend that they fully believe Paul Espargaro would have been up there battling for the podium this weekend, just looking on Augusto Fernandez's performance this weekend. I think the bike is good. Factory KTMs look good. And I think that Gas Gas have made a step this year. And this could be very, very exciting come the second half of the season when Augusto gets more comfortable. And if the possibility of Paulus Bagaro returning to, you know, a real a, a real driving force and an experienced rider could mean that Gas Gas could be up there a lot more at the second half of the season, which is I really hope so. Really interesting. Yeah. I know in the pre-race interview with Harvey, they he said that like Paul was like kind of the main leader. Yeah. At the start of the season, and then obviously when Paul had the crash, it was kind of passed on to Augusto. But like Augusto's still a rookie, so he's kind of like rookie and leader at the same time. But Augusto time, said, so. "I can do it." Like they had a yeah. conversation apparently, and Augusto went, "Yep." I can do it. I can be the leader of this team. And I really think he did that this weekend. And it's so impressive to see. I think he has done that like most weekends. Like, yeah, he's just not been up there. Just like, because it's not top we 10 haven't doesn't seen, mean it hasn't yeah. been great. Yeah. I mean, he's a rookie and he's on the satellite KTM. I mean, what, what did we really expect? And it wasn't a fourth place. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The thing is, like, previous performances on this bike haven't been that great. 
Yeah. I mean, I think it's yeah. everyone's just in shock about it. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I want to mention Fabio Quattararo again, just briefly. And his bad weekend he managed to pick up seventh place in the race but his seventh place only came from how many crashes there were in front of him disappointing not good not the home grand prix that he wanted i struggle big time with yamaha and fabio and even frankie morbidelle at at this point and things seem to be going from bad to worse i don't want to talk about it too much because it has been such a big talking point this season but where is it all going wrong i don't know but they need to maybe even take the honda road honda um change to a Kallax chassis i'm not saying that yamaha should do it but they need to try to yeah yeah because it's obviously not working and I don't know, maybe it was the expectations that we had because it was his home weekend. But I think usually, even though the results weren't always where they were supposed to be this season with Fabio, you could usually still classify his performances as in the upper half of the grid, where you're saying like, okay, it wasn't a breathtaking result but at the same time he still performed well with what he was giving but yeah. this weekend it's you can't even say that and that's no. what's uh, a bit concerning yeah definitely it's not good whatsoever especially at a place like Le Mans where yeah. Fabio Quattarao has taken three pole positions at Le Mans and he didn't even make it out of Q1 so I think that speaks volumes but I'm not going to I'm not going to badger on about it. I want to speak about Marc Marquez next because I'm sure you're all wondering what's going on there. So I did mention earlier that he obviously qualified in second place and he did not come to play this weekend. Goes to show that Marc Marquez does make the difference at Honda because, holy crap, what an incredible weekend. He finished fifth in the sprint, which I don't think I mentioned earlier, and he was running in third place. When he crashed out of the race, Jorge Martin had managed to get past him for a second. They were battling for quite a few laps and Marc Marquez was just pushing a little bit too hard to try and get back in line so he could make the overtake back on Jorge Martin. But after the race, Marc Marquez said that he would much rather this than finishing in 10th place. He was glad he pushed as hard as he did and crashed than basically battling at the back of the grid, which is a big statement i i think it's it it fits his mentality and the personality that he has yeah but at the same time i do kind of agree from a fan's perspective in a sense of um when he when his pace dropped off during the sprint race i was a bit worried because he doesn't have he apparently it's been seven months since he finished an entire race Mm. Um, I was a bit scared that he can't go the distance. Now he crashed on the second last lap, I think. Yeah. Um, and he was running in podium contention, which shows that he is still strong enough to go the distance. And yeah. I think even though it was a devastating crash for him and the team, at the same time, you 
are very happy to see that he still has the potential to get onto the podium and he has the potential to finish a race that is so long and so physically demanding. So if he would if he would have just fallen down to grid and finished the race in tenth, I think everyone would have been more worried about him and his condition than this result. I mean, what a comeback. And it just like it makes me wonder what the problems are at Honda because obviously on the other side of the garage you have Johan Mir who is crashing every single weekend like he had more crashes this weekend than he did in his entire 2020 campaign when he won the world championship in one weekend in MotoGP running the Repsol Honda he has had more crashes than he did in an entire season the bike just doesn't fit his riding style and I think that's something that Honda won't change and Johan Mir not if Mark Marquez can come back after seven weeks off and just get on it like nothing's happened but also Mir can't just change his entire riding style it's so ingrained in himself on how he rides that he can't just go like oh okay it doesn't suit me I need to do this but your body your reflexes they are not doing what they're supposed to when you're telling yourself oh I need to change that but then I'm going to throw a spanner in the works no I know he crashed this weekend but Alex Rins seems to be making it work a little bit better Alex Rins and Joan Mia have very different riding styles. Yeah. If you're only looking at how they're sitting on the bike, it's completely different. Alex Rins, like the Castrol bike looks retro and Alex Rins, I think, has like a a touch of retro riding style ingrained in him. But <laughs> totally off point. Um, But yeah, Honda is clearly in diffs. And when Marc Marquez wasn't there, they looked to be struggling so bad apart from Coda obviously where Alex Rins had a complete wonder weekend but the rider made the difference there and it's clear to see that Marc Marquez at the factory team is the rider making the difference and even after all these injuries and crashes and being out for so long it's so interesting to see that he still has it and continues to be able to put performances like this in and is making statements like he made after the race so Interesting. We've got to keep our eyes on Mark Marquez, but I'm not going to go on keep going on about him, um, because I could for ages because he's such an interesting person to talk about <laughs> and everything that goes on. But I'm going to mention the DNFs in this race. So obviously we had Mark Marquez, Jack Miller, horror weekend. It could have been a complete stunner of a weekend. He could have won it all. Could but... have been a heref to yeah. Pando. He looked strong. It could have been a complete shoey mayhem if he'd got his way, but unfortunately not. Two silly crashes in both races left him walking away with zero points and no boat. He said he wanted to buy a boat when he gets a race win and that'll not be happening for another couple of weeks anyway. Um, We did have a crash from Alex Rins and Johan Mir and obviously crashes from Luca Marini, Alex Marquez, Peko Bangaya and Maverick Vinales. I want to jump in really, really quickly to our riders of the day and I'm going to go first again. And my rider of the day is Johan Sarko. It wasn't the dream backflip that I've been dreaming of, but it was a home podium and his first podium of the season. It was a strong race. He came back really good in the second half of the race and yeah, a home podium 
is always something to celebrate. And I think he was really, really good on Sunday. So Johan Zarco is my writer of the day. Alec? Augusto Fernandez. I'm just doing it like Carly. No explanation needed. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Carly, who's your writer of the day? I wanted to pick Augusto, but um, I ended up picking Bezeki. Yeah. Fair enough. I don't think anything else needs said about that either. It was pretty <laughs> stunning performance. Unless there is anything else that you want to ask. No. He's okay. closed the championship right down. I'm excited <laughs> for the next race. There's Magello of all places. We're so excited. But that is it. I can't believe we've managed to, di- to digest everything that happened this weekend. It was crazy. From start to finish. And like I mentioned, the biggest attendance we've ever seen at a MotoGP race so good to see that the sport is still is doing well but something that you should note that the French Grand Prix is actually run by a private company it's not advertised like every other race like it's not run like every other race there's free parking there's free camping it's all run by an organizer i think we that, should go to really... the french to, to be yeah <laughs> but that would you really something... want to take the free camping i mean it looks fun it looks crazy no it looks chaotic it looks fun. like the races um but that is something to note and something that i do think we'll be talking about later on in the season um with in terms of attendance and making the championship big but that is something to note ladies and gentlemen but i am going to wrap it up there before we blab on all day yes that is it for the french grand prix what a bloody weekend i've said bloody a million times now but i don't care we are now off for three weeks i can't believe it and then we will be back in the best circuit on the calendar, Mugello. Fight me on it because it is the best circuit on the calendar. I'm so excited to be there. Even though I'm not going to be there, I'll be watching at home. But you know what I mean. We're excited. But yes, no, three will long be there weeks. In spirit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, three long weeks to wait until we're back racing again. But I mean, we've got the Isle of Man TT in between then. So I think that will keep us well entertained. That is everything for this week's episode. Follow us at The Silent Lap and we will be back next week with another episode.